This week is Parshat Chayes Sarah, which is contrary to public opinion. It, it's a common convention. It has nothing to do with Sarah. Sarah's dead. Uh, it is, however, uh, chiefly focused around the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka and the wooing of Rebecca, as they like to call it in the literature. Uh, but it is also the uh, the farewell to Avraham. Avraham passes away at the end of Chaye Sarah. And even though Lechlach and Vayera are conventionally seen as the Parshiot of Avraham, he still plays an active role. Certainly at the beginning, he's the one who negotiates and finally gets us land in Israel, in Marat Um We're also told about his, the end of his life, at the end, where he he uh, marries again and has a bunch more kids, and um, and he's buried by Yitzchak and Yishmael. And he plays a role at the beginning of the story of Yitzchak and Rivka, which is when he makes the o- the slave take an oath and all of the that goes along with it. Uh, I actually want to come back to that passage uh, at the end of this to share something. Now, it, one important rule is we don't know what happened in Avram's tent. We don't know what happened in Yaakov's tent. We don't know what happened in the field. All we know is what the Torah tells us. It's important to note that also when we read conversations, we don't have the full conversation. Many times, by the way, we're reading a translation of a conversation. Like when Yaakov and Lavan are negotiating, they're probably doing it in Aramaic. And when Moshe and Paro are talking, they're probably doing it in Egyptian. But we're reading a translation. Now, when when the author, and I'm using author here in the sense of capital A, gives us a translation, it is the intent that we read the text that way. In other words, the way it's presented is how we're supposed to read it. Which means it doesn't bother me if what actually happened or was actually said is a little different because the Torah is trying to present the message. And in much the same way, we don't have a full transcription of everything Avram ever said. We also don't know what Avram's favorite breakfast, breakfast cereal is or what his nickname for Sarah was. We know what we're supposed to know. And that means that the parts of Avraham's interactions with people that we're told about are the picture the Torah wants to paint. Now, it's not going to be a full picture, but it's the picture we're supposed to see. That said, and that's almost a caveat at the beginning of this year, what I would like to do is, is do a survey of the Avrahamic dialogues. Every time that Avraham is involved in a dialogue, meaning every time that Avraham and another are having any sort of speech, whether Avraham's doing all the talking, Avraham's doing all the listening, as long as Avraham's one of the players there, that's what I'd like to look at. And I think we will find a remarkable development take place that culminates in one of the lesser-known Avrahamic interactions, which is in the middle of this week's parasha. Everybody knows about Avram and Ephron, and everybody knows about Avram and Sarah around Hagar, and everybody knows around Avram and Sarah around Hagar and Yishmael, and everybody knows about Avram and the Akedah. We don't think very much about that last interaction that he has with somebody that's recorded. So we're going to end there. We're going to start at the beginning and go in order. Now you'll notice, and I've color-coded this, every time that God speaks to Avraham, it's highlighted green. And the text is purple for royal purple. Okay. etc. And notice, Avraham does not respond. Now, it could be Avraham said, Hineni. It could be Avraham said, where's my ways? Right? How do I go? But it's not recorded. So again, what's recorded is Hashem speaks to Avram. Avram does not respond. 
In the next interaction, Avraham speaks, he's in the faded green, and he speaks to Sarah. And he gives a whole long explanation about why she should say that she is his sister and not his wife. And Sarah doesn't say anything back. In the next interaction, Avram speaks to Lot. And this is after they come back from Egypt and they got lots of stuff. And as a result of the stuff, there is a tussle between Lot's um, uh, shepherds and Avram's shepherds. And we're all familiar with that. And Avram speaks to Lot and says, we shouldn't fight. Our shepherd shouldn't fight. We're family. Which basically means if you go to the north, I will go to the south. If you go to the south, I'll go to the north. And then we don't ever hear Lot say anything. We see Lot look up and basically look down. He casts his eyes up and looks down at Stone. That's a parchment by itself. And he goes to Stone. We don't ever hear them talking. We don't hear him say goodbye. We don't uh, hear Avram trying to convince him not to go. What we're told is that. Okay. The next major scene is the famous war of the four empires coming from the east. It's important to note, we talk about four kings and five kings, and the Pasuk actually says, but it's very misleading, because the four kings we're talking about are four empires. And the five kings we're talking about are like podunk. Each one of them is a king over a tiny little town. So it's really not a fair, like four to five, and when the five beat the four. It's it's uh, it's basically uh, United States, Russia, if we can't get together, uh, Germany and uh, and China going to war against Monaco and three other four other places like that. That's what it's like. In any case, after that happens, and Avraham rescues the hostages, he doesn't beat the four kings. He rescues the hostages and all of the loot that was taken from the five cities of the Jordan Valley. And brings them back, and they have a meeting between Malki Tzedek, Avram, and the king of Sdom, who evidently represents the kings of the area. Notice what happens. Malki Tzedek, who is some sort of a king of Jerusalem and a priest to El Elyon, gives Avram a beautiful bracha. Baruch Avram And then it turns out that it is Friday night, it's Friday Shabbos afternoon, because he starts singing Baruch El Elyon. Right? That's where that comes from. Now, I tell them, I should have actually cut out because that's not part of his words. But the point is that Amalkitzedek blesses Avram. What does Avram say back? Thank you. I'll tip you. We don't know. We know that Avram gives him a gift that you give to the Kohen, but we don't hear Avram speak. Which means, again, so far, every interaction between Avram and somebody is presented as a one sided peace. And by the way, the divine ones are Avram's the listener, and the human ones, Avram's the speaker. But there's no two, there's no back and forth. Now, the first back and forth we get is right after that. But not really, because what happens? The king of Stom says to Avraham, here's the deal. I'd like to have all the people back. You can keep all the loot. And then Avram basically makes a declaration. It says, but if you look at it, it's not a conversation. It's a declaration, and it's an oath. It's an oath. I'm not going to take anything from you, except, you know, the loot that my confederates earned, so that they get to keep, but I don't want any, I don't want you walking around saying I made Avram rich. But this is not a discussion. The first seeming dialogue happens 
with God. God appears to him right after the war and says, I'm giving you a big reward. And what does Avram say? He says, what's the point of giving me anything? I have no kids. And he says, you haven't given me any children. In other words, he challenges God on the statement. And what does God say back? God responds to it. This is the first time that there's actually a response in a conversation between Avram and God. And he says, this one won't inherit from you. You'll have one that will issue from your loins that will inherit you. Go outside, count the stars, etc. That's how many kids you'll have. And then the second half of that, Hashem again appears to him and says, I am Hashem, etc. Right? And Avram again challenges. It says, And Hashem gives him a whole piece to do, which is the details of the Brit Ben Tarim. And then Hashem makes a declaration, which is the words of the Brit. Now, notice, though, that even though both of these I'm presenting as dialogues, they're not really dialogues. What they are is statement, challenge, response, almost like reading Gomorrah. Hashem says, I'm giving you a reward. Avram says, what's the point? I have no kids. And Hashem says, no, you'll have kids. And the second one is, I'm giving you this land to inherit. How will I know I inherit it? And then a whole long Megillah, including the Brit Ben Abitari, including the words of the Brit. Now, when we move ahead, we'll see more dialogue, meaning Avram now develops as somebody who listens and talks, but not exactly in the way we might idealize it. Sarai turns to Avram in the very next chapter and says, I, I, um, I, uh, Hashem has kept me from having kids. Take Hagar, right? And Avram does what she says. Avram doesn't say yes. We don't, we don't hear that. We just say Avram obeys what she says. The one time in this story where there's any sort of verbal interaction that we hear is when Sarai comes angrily to Avram and says, I gave her to you, and now she's treating me badly. Hashem will judge between us. And what does Avram say to Sarai? Okay. Again, it's not much of a dialogue. He says, okay, you take her back, do whatever you want. Which, by the way, doesn't lead to anything good because Sarai mistreats her and she runs away into the desert, etc. You then move to the next chapter and you see that it's just about all God. There's not that many divine speeches that are this long in narrative. Hashem speaks to Avram and says, I'm changing your name and I'm giving you a brit and here's the rules of the brit, the brit milah, etc. And then one thing that Avram says in this whole story is again a sort of a challenge to God. God says, by the way, Sarai won't be Sarai anymore, and she's, I'm going to bless her, and she's going to give you a son. And Avraham internally laughs and says in his heart, that's why I didn't highlight it, could it be that I, 100, and she, 90, is going to have a, have a kid? And then what does he actually say out loud? Four words. Lu Yishmael Yichel Which, by the way, if you think about it, is somewhat similar to what we saw up here. Hashem is giving a declaration, and Avraham is asking about it, kind of poking at it, and he gets an answer. And here he says, Oh, I hope that just Ishmael is able to live. We're talking about another kid. And Hashem says, Sarai is going to give you a kid, and I'm going to have the breed. Don't worry about Ishmael. Take care of him. But Yitzchak is the, is, the, is the key. Even in the tent story, Hashem says to Avraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, I'm too old? Is there anything beyond me? And Sarah then says, Lo but Avram doesn't say anything. 
And now Vayomer lo is a little unclear. Who's saying, no, you laughed? So the Bechor Shor says it's Avram. But the way most people read it is, God in this thing says, in this vision, says, you laughed. All right? We move ahead. And then later in that chapter, when Avram is with the, escorting the guys out, Hashem says that the cries of Stom and Amorah are great. I'm going to go see if it's as bad as, as it seems. And that point, Avram comes up and starts his negotiations. Now, the interesting thing is, now you actually have a negotiation with a question, a request and an answer. And it continues. It's not just, I'm giving you this stuff. What do you mean? Here's the answer. I'm giving you this stuff. No, I don't believe you. Here's the answer. Here it's, I'm going to go destroy it. And Avram says, you can't do that because you got to be just. And he says, what if there's 50? And Hashem says, okay, if there's 50, I'll leave it. Avram says, oh, I'm, I'm ashes, I'm dirt, I'm nothing. What if there's only five missing from the 50? It's a very clever negotiating tactic. For five people, you're going to destroy the city? Okay, 45. Hashem sets them straight. And then, what about the, if there's 40, 30, 20, 10, sold American, we know how that goes. But this is the first time that there's actual back and forth. You see that. That till now, it has either been totally monologic or else a presentation with a challenge, a single challenge or question and answer. Now there's an actual back and forth call and response, if you will. Now, Avraham does have, after this, and it develops more, he does have a, a real dialogue. And the real dialogue is with Avimelech. Avimelech, who, by the way, is a very heavy character. Because are all evoking Avraham. is Avraham saying, and is of course There's a lot there. But Avimelech says, What did we do? You brought us almost this terrible sin, right? Things that are never done. Why'd you do it? And then Avram answers. But you notice that this is a very uncomfortable dialogue. It's a dialogue. Avimelech asks a question. Avram gives an answer. But the question is accusational, accusatory, sorry. And the answer is is reciprocally accusatory. You're accusing me of doing a terrible thing. I did it because you guys are terrible. And then Avimelech in the end says, you could stay here or whatever you want in the land. Um, notice here that we have another interaction. I kept it in, even though it doesn't really fit our model, because it kind of shows what the difficulties are. Uh, um, Sarah says to Avram, get rid of this girl. This is the first time we hear them speaking around the birth. She speaks, but not, not Avram. She says to him, get rid of the, this woman and her kid, because I don't want this the kid of this slave woman to inherit my son Yitzchak. Avram is very upset, and Hashem says to Avram, don't be bad, sad about it, etc., etc. But notice here, there's no dialogue at all involving Avram. He's the one non-speaker here. We move ahead, and still in last week's Parsha, and we see another interaction between Avraham now and Avimelech. But now it's much more cordial. It's not an accusation and a defense. It's a request from Avimelech to sign a treaty, to try to become closer and create some sort of a detente, along with uh, a separation line that they'll respect. Notice, though, who does all the speaking. Avimelech does all the speaking, and Avram says two words, Anochi Shaveah. 
And then at the end, he says, I set up these, this monument, these, these sheep to, so that you should know, remember that the, that, uh, that my slaves dug this well. So you shouldn't steal another well. So there's still something kind of tense and, and, um, um, not, should we say, unpleasant about the interaction, even though it starts off pleasantly. Now, we get to the Akedan, what happens? Hashem says, Avram, he says, Hineni. And then he gives a whole long piece, and Hineni is almost like just checking in. And he might have said Hineni earlier times. This is the first time we hear it. Avram speaks to the boy. Hashem speaks to Avram. Avram speaks to the boys and says, you stay here, we're going to go there. And they don't speak back. Then we have an actual dialogue between Yitzchak and Avraham. And it's sweet because Yitzchak says, we've got all the materials, where's the lamb? And uh, and uh, Avraham says, Hashem will show us the lamb, right? And all of the parshim on that. But then what happens afterwards is, Avraham's about to do the Akedah, and Hashem says, Avram, Avram, he says, Hineni, and then all the rest is the Malach talking, right? In other words, it's uh, it's not Avram doesn't speak here. He does do one thing where he, where he calls the place Hashem Yireh, right? He calls the place Hashem Yireh, but he doesn't speak. So Avraham is again listening to Hashem and just asking questions like Hineni, right, of like kind of, to, to, as a response, but it's not really a dialogue. Now we get to our Parsha. Because what we're watching and the Torah is showing us is Avraham from the beginning of his journey as a completely obedient Ever Hashem. He knows how to be totally sub- subservient to God. God says, Lechacha, he goes. And then they question, doesn't respond. And by the way, he has the same relationship with the members of his family in the opposite direction. He tells Sarah what to do, we don't hear her answer. He tells Lot to do, we don't hear his answer. So do you understand that we have this sort of lordly relationship going in two directions? And over time in the text, he becomes more integrated. So that now suddenly there are, somebody responds to him, he asks questions, there's a back and forth, it happens with God, and now it happens bigadol in the city of Hebron, in this, what we always consider to be an anti-climax of Avram's career after the Akedah. We consider the climax to be the top, and everything afterwards to be kind of icing on the cake. But Avram approaches and says, and they say, and everybody's bowing to everybody else, and everybody's loving everybody else, and they're naming a price, and he's meeting the price, and it's all very nice. It's beautiful. So now watch what happens at the end, the very last time we hear Avram speak. This is it, you're looking at. Avram calls his slave, and he says to him, I want you to put your hand under my thigh. We've talked in the past about it, but just to remind you, some of the Rishonim point this out, that this was, and we know from ancient Near Eastern texts, that this was a common practice in the ancient Near East at the time, in the second millennium BCE, that if somebody was taking an oath that was a very severe measure, and was really wanted to demonstrate that I'm totally dependent on you to fulfill this oath, the one taking the oath would put his hands under the thighs of the one administering the oath, symbolizing that the one taking the oath or committing is now, shall we say, the one administering the oath is completely dependent on the one whose hands are under him, almost like I'm holding you up. So think about the other model. 
Yaakov is on his deathbed. He seems like his deathbed. And he makes Yosef take an oath that he won't bury him in Egypt. And he makes Yosef put his hands under him. Same thing. Same wording. What's the, what's the, the symbol? It's very simple. I'm going to be dead. I can't control where they bury me. So I'm making you take an oath and I'm 100% dependent on you that you will carry it out because I won't be here to see it. Now, in our story, what happens? Avram is too old to travel and Avram thinks he's about to die. Bab Bayamim is a Tanakh idiom for about to die or thinks is about to die. And if he wants to put his affairs in order. Rashi points this out on the spot and says that because Avram thinks it's the end and Yitzchak's not married, it's what he's got to put in order to get Yitzchak married. Why doesn't Avram go to Haran himself and get a wife? He's too old to go. So he makes the slave put his hands under him because he's saying, I'm completely dependent on you. I figure by the time you get this done, I'll be dead. And I can't do anything. I can't say no to the the, the Kanani girl. You know, Miss Shechem of uh, 1842 BCE. Right? I can't do anything about it. I'll be gone. So I'm making you put your hands under me. Okay. What does he do? He says, the oath. What does the Evid say to him? What if she doesn't want to go? What do I do? And what does Avram answer back? He answers back that uh, don't take him there, etc., etc., right? Now, what does this look like? Avraham initiates the conversation and says, I want you to take an oath that you won't do X, Y, and Z. And rather, you'll do A, B, and C. The Evid then asks a question. Says, what about this? What about that? And what does Avram do? Avram responds to the question and gives him the solution, which is, you don't need to worry about it because Hashem, who has taken care of me, is, gonna, is going to make sure to get your proper wife. What does that look like? It looks like the conversations that Hashem had with Avram, where Hashem said, this is what I'm going to give you. And Avram said, what do you mean? And Hashem answered. Hashem said, this is what I'm giving you. And Avram said, how do I know I'm going to get it? And Hashem answered. Notice what's happening is what you're watching in front of you is at the end of his life, the last scene that we hear Avram ever talking, Avram is presented as, excuse the the phrasing, but I don't know any better phrasing, a lordly man. What we might call Ish HaElohim. Now I know this sounds somewhat heretical, it's not, but it sounds heretical, but it's important to note that HaKadosh Baruch uses the same language. When Moshe is at the snap, and Hashem tells Moshe to go, and Moshe says, and I'll go back, and da, da, da. finally Moshe says, Hashem says to Moshe, okay, take Aharon. And what does he say about their position? Le-Elohim, you will be to Pharaoh as an Elohim. It's a mind-blowing phrase. You will be an Elohim to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. Because you're going to tell him the message, and Aaron's going bla- to broadcast the message to Paro. It's a wild statement. But that's the notion of a great person, is that ultimately they become an Ish Elohim. And Ish Elohim means a man of God, but it means a man who is godly. And the way that Avraham is described in his last interaction, the text deliberately presents him as somebody speaking the same way that God speaks, and the slave, the obedient slave, as the obedient Avram spoke back to God, asking the question, 
trying to clarify the parameters of his obligation, and then Avram gives the answer. So what we've done over the course of this past 25 minutes or so is done sort of a survey of, of um, Avraham's dialogues, as it were, going from the very first time that we ever hear anybody talking to Avram or Avram talking to anybody, to anybody. And we saw at the beginning that they're all one-sided. Hashem speaks to Avram, Avram doesn't answer. Avram speaks to people, and the people don't answer. And the people are all family members. They finally find a little bit of a testy interaction of Melech's dome, but it's not really a give and take. Avram is just kind of giving a very uh, strong reason why he is refusing uh, the king of Sodom's offer. But then when Hashem speaks to Avram at this point, Avram now starts to respond with a question to Hashem's promises. And you see that in the other interactions here, when Hashem gives him Brit Milah and everything else, tells him at Yitzchak, he has one thing, that's it. As time goes on and Avram develops, suddenly he becomes an active participant in the discussions with God. God says, I'm going to destroy Stone. Ah, time out, you can't do that. And they negotiate, and they go down. And then, at that point, Avram now has an active conversation, although it's unpleasant, with Avimelech. We then move ahead, and we see that Avram has another testy conversation with Avimelech, but it is a conversation. And then finally, when we get to, um, again, the Akedah is not really illuminative here, but when we get to the interaction with Ephron, suddenly it's like, here is a lordly man, that's what they call him, and he's speaking to the important members of the town that he wants to be part of, and they're honoring him, and he's honoring them, and suddenly we find Avram having a conversation with equals. And that's pinnacle number one of the Avraham Dialogues. Avraham talking to other lordly men as equals, as peers. The second one is Avraham speaking to his slave as a lordly man speaks to a slave. And the parallels between this and the conversations between Hashem and Avraham that we saw develop is, I think, illuminating to see the development of this character. And again, the the greatest image we get of somebody in Tanakh is the image at the end of their life, the end of their career. Moshe is only called Ishai Elohim at the very end. And only after he dies is he given the main title that he has, which is Eved Hashem. A teacher of mine once told me that the Rosh Tevot that we're all familiar with, Mem Reish Ayin Hey, most people think Moshe means Moshe Rabbeinu, Allah Shalom. He says, no, it means Moshe Rabbeinu Eved Hashem. That's his title. That's on his business card. Moshe Rabbeinu Eved Hashem. That's his domain. Eved Hashem.co.il. I'm sure it's Ayel. Right? But and and Avram here, we see, reaches the pinnacle of his position as a lordly person, Dafka at the end of his life, which of course is what the journey is about. Um, on a related note, because this parsha begins with the passing of Sarah, it ends with the passing of Avram and of Ishmael, and it really culminates that generation's life. Um, I'm sad to share with you that uh, somewhat suddenly this past Monday, my wife's mother passed away, Liba Bela Bat Moshe, and the Levaya is going to be on Friday. Uh, and so uh, we hope that the Torah we learn also serves as a source of Nechama uh, and Aliyah Neshama and Tainit Nishmatat Surah Bitzurah Chayim.